Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Uh, podcast host. I mean, people always ask me, and I'm not trying to make this up me. I'm just going back on you, Lisa. I People ask me, okay, why did you put this podcast out? And I always tell people, I go, I want to tell the stories. I think there's so much. We only see a short person. I mean, 10 minutes, 10% of someone's life. And we only see the positive of it for the most part on social media. Yet telling these stories, it makes everyone understand that they're not alone. Right. Absolutely. And so when we were talking before we got on mic, you're telling me basically, in essence, that's what you talk about on your podcast, why you want people to tell their stories out there. So I was like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be the a great episode right here. It's going to be like talking to in a mirror right there. <laughs> yes, I can. I'm telling you, I'm thinking the same thing. Um, and it's interesting also, Road to Growth, my first business was actually called The Road to Success oh. for you. So we're right there. <laughs> we're right there. But stories, you know what? Everybody loves stories. We know that. We know that there are two types of people that love stories. We know that. And that's children and adults. That's everybody, right? That's why we have cartoons and we have movies. That's why, that's how we learn some of the first lessons that we learned. Everybody remembers the boy who cried wolf. Everybody remembers that because it was wrapped in a story. If your mom just said, stop telling lies, it wouldn't stick as well. Oh, yeah. As the boy who tells who cried wolf or the little boy who told lies with Pinocchio. Right. So understanding that your story has a lesson and a message in it that somebody else needs, someone else needs and they need to hear it. They need you need to be more than just a byline. Well, and, and, and the words we use are, are so powerful. It's if it's selling a product, if it's basically, you I mean, keeping someone in, engage in the conversation whatever it is the words you use and i think for the most part is being honest with the words you use because i think for most of us we can relate when we feel honesty when we feel uh, someone be authentic when you start, at least for myself as soon as i hear someone oh, that looks seems a little fake that seems like it's been a script yeah zone them out i go okay i'm gonna get off the phone with you i'm done i, I don't want to listen to things more Absolutely. That's true. And that's one of the things that I tell my authors while they're in the process of trying to create their story is number one, you got to be authentic. Now, I don't do fiction. I I personally don't publish fiction except in the form of children's books. But even that has to have a core of truth in it. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you're telling a story, even the dumbest person can tell when you're telling a lie or when you're lying to them. It, It just just it's inevitable that it's just not going to resonate. So be ready to tell that story. The other caveat that I have with many of my clients is you need to tell it from a position of forgiveness. I don't want you to share this story that you haven't finished processing with the world because not only is that bitterness going to shine through, but that unforgiveness will come back on you and it will hurt you worse. Well, so I, I take I take exception to that idea of that even an idiot can understand if you're lying. There was, so I, before I got into real estate, and I've been in the business yeah. for, for nine years, kind of growing my thing, I was in the construction field. Okay. And I worked with some people that were very good at bending the truth. And it took me, when I first got, w- got with them, I started working with them, I took it hook, line, and sinker, that truth. 
right? Because it was the truth they believed, and they were very strong and very adamant about that truth. Yet over time, I started understanding that truth, even though they might believe that truth, and they were speaking to their blue in the face about that truth, that actually wasn't the truth. That is so unfortunate, but you're very right. When the thing is, they believed that it was true. Yeah. So when they were communicating it, the fact that they believed it was true added to the authenticity of it, even though it was in fact untrue. Yeah. It's very difficult to pull somebody over, pull the wool over somebody's eyes with something that even they don't believe. Yeah. We can feel it, we can see it, we can smell it. It just doesn't go over well. Well, well, walk walk us through where did this where did this passion come together of telling people stories? Was this at a, at a young age? Were you telling stories to to all the people you were meeting? Who was Lisa growing up? So Lisa growing up, unfortunately, was a really, really busy trying to live, trying to, to survive at a very, very young age. But one of the things that I can think back with part of that survival was keeping people entertained, because even as young as five and six, uh, sort of being separated from my mom and having to be in places where people just they could get rid of you if they got tired of you. Right. So, or if you were a truculent kid or if you were any way unfavorable, that was a reason to send her back or send her away, right? So telling stories or not just telling stories, but being entertaining at that time, I don't think it was as much telling stories. But one moment that actually sticks out to me was when I was very young, I think I was about eight, and I saw a young lady who was upset with what she was doing. She had started a lemonade stand probably she was about 11 or 12 and nobody was buying her lemonade and she was about to cry and shut it down. I think I was about eight. And I said, don't shut down. You have the best lemonade. It's the best. And I think the stories came in encouragement for me. And so I was encouraging her and inviting other people to support her. And I really think that that's where that encouragement and that story connecting us together was really born. Did you have someone that was encouraging you? I mean, you're encouraging this at a young age, yet did you no. have someone that was encouraging you? No, I didn't. And that's one of the things that I realized when I decided to write my first book. I think I was about 35. It was really about um, it was really about the fact that I had become who I needed at that time. And so many people who are successful, one of the things that I find is, yes, they did have someone to help them along the way in many cases, but they also realize something within themselves. And oftentimes, mainly, primarily, a lot of the people that I work with, they want to reach back and help somebody else in an area where nobody helped them. So they want to become who they needed. And that's essentially what I think I, I ended up doing early on. All right, so let's let's jump back. So the eight-year-old you was helping this this other eight, eleven-year-old. Eleven-year-old, yeah. Yeah, eleven-year-old, and and you're helping her get there. And then thirty-five-year-old you is basically telling people stories. So in between there, what's what's that journey like? Oh my God, it was a it was it was a. I want to say ups and downs and ups and downs, but in all honesty, it was more down and then some up, gratefully. Okay. So I I ended up running away at around 13 oh, wow. because my home life was really, really, um, it was really uncomfortable. It was not, it was not what I wanted. And at that point, 
um, the abuse and molestation and just the negativity that I was going through at that time. I think by the time I turned 13, I had gotten to a point where I realized that, you know what, if I stay here, I'm going to hurt somebody because I'm, I'm no longer willing to just be passively in these conditions. So I ran away and fortunately, um, I stayed in school for about another, so that was when, that was in the eighth grade. So by the time I was 16, I was still in school. I was couch surfing, as you would call it, right? Living from house to house to house with people um, that would allow me to. And by the time I was 16, I was in a situation where I was assigned calculus in school. Now, I was already working full time at that time. I was working at Burger King from 4 p.m. to midnight, getting home at 2 a.m., doing, you know, sleeping on the couch or sleeping wherever they let me sleep and then get up, get back on the train and do the same. I'm from New York City. And so when they gave me the people at that time, they were just friends of classmates, friends of people like I didn't know those people at that time. Up until 16, it was kind of safe. From 13 to 16, it was kind of safe. It was kind of like the friend of a friend. They didn't know why I didn't want to go home this night. I kept everything kind of close to the vest, if you will. But when they gave me that um, calculus, and I'm trying to get a raise at Burger King because I got a place where I can pay, where I'm actually looking to get my own apartment with another cousin of mine, and I need money to make rent. And I'm looking at calculus, and I'm like, Calculus doesn't get me more money at Burger King. I need to just leave all of this. And so leaving from that, and and I think that that may have looked like a, a, a downturn, but leaving from that, I actually left the 10th grade and went to a business school. I took the entrance exam for business administration and computers, and I ended up passing the test. They never asked for a high school diploma. They they actually had an entry test. So when I passed the entry test, I was able to go in and complete that course. Now, it sounds like, yeah, that was all great and wonderful. And I got those skills and everything, which have been helpful in my life. But from about 16 to about 22, 23, 24, I was living on the street. I was very promiscuous. I was selling my body for making decisions, you know, to, to try to make life, if you will, and using drugs and kind of like just living here and there, just making it happen. And um, I'm grateful that those, those times are behind me, but moving forward, I came to a place now when I was about 24, 25, that I had um, finally gotten a job I finally got an apartment, but I was still using drugs and I was still hitting the streets and I was still doing all these things, but I decided that I want to make a change. And so I left where I was. Why did I want to make a change? Mm -hmm. I had these visions of the fact that maybe there was more. Maybe there was more in if I had a clean start where nobody knew me, where I didn't have any baggage with me, if you will that I could do better, do differently, you know, do something was, else. Was there a moment when you, when you felt this, was it, is it a rock bottom or was it just an epiphany? Was it, what it, was that? I think it must've. So if I'm going to tell the story truthfully, I've always had a relationship with higher power, even through the mess, through the drugs, through the sex, 
through the abuse, through the miscarriages, through everything. But it was like that relationship was always there, but it was different. And so I had this epiphany that if I just got away from where I started, that I could be different and everything could be different. And it was when I had, so I, so I saved, I, I didn't pay rent. I didn't pay bill. I saved everything. I saved everything I could find. Like I, until they put me out and shut it off. That was how long I was going to be saving until I could leave. Right. So finally had accumulated $5,000 and I got in, uh, I bought a, I bought a car for $300 from Pennsylvania and I got a U-Haul and I drove to North Carolina. Now I had drugs with me. I was using drugs on that road experience. And this, this moment where you say, was there an epiphany? The epiphany came on that road, to be quite honest. I was on the road to North Carolina. I'm getting high. I'm thinking about the greatness that's in front of me. And God says loudly, so you're going to take the old you on a new journey. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. And so I turned to my to the person that's driving because I was in the passenger seat and I handed him the drugs. And I said, I don't do drugs anymore. I don't do coke anymore. It was in that moment that everything kind of changed. Who, who, who was the person that was uh, driving? The person that was driving was my boyfriend at the time. Eventually he became my husband. Um, that's a whole nother story. North Carolina forced a divorce on me because it's in the Bible Belt and you can't rent an apartment or you couldn't. That was 20 years ago. You couldn't rent an apartment if, together if you weren't married. So we got here and um, I we ended up at a place called um, the Charlotte Area Fund. And they had these amazing resources that helped me from day one, like amazing. They provided me like uh, a list of apartments that, you know, were accepting people. They provided me with a list of companies that were hiring and they provided me with a place to sit down and put together my resume while they helped me to write it. I mean, it was awesome. I'm grateful to them. I ended up doing some um, nonprofit work with them later on in once I pulled my life together after that, but that it was it was amazing. It was amazing. So within three days of landing in Charlotte, I had a new job. I had a new apartment and I had a husband. Was... And I didn't use drugs. <laughs> are, are you still married to this? Too? No. Okay. No. So let's go, go back. Was he a good influence? No. Bad influence? He was a, he was a, he was a present influence. That's all he was. Um, we stayed married for almost 20 years. And um, it was it was a lot of burdens. I talk about the issues, some of the issues that we had in our marriage in my first book, um, Discovering Your Why, A Journey to Wholeness, because I really had to heal from the decision to get married. The decision to get married was one that, that I had to... Um, I had to process, I had to heal because it was like being in a in a life sentence with someone that I wasn't meant to be with. 
that I was trying to create into somebody that I was meant to be with. And it wasn't right. It simply wasn't right. It wasn't right for him or me. Well, let's let's go back to that, that person in Pennsylvania, right? Person on drugs, right? Person. That was in okay. New York. I just went to oh, Pennsylvania New York. real quick to buy okay. a car. <laughs> okay. So, so in New York, right? You're doing drugs. You're yeah. being promiscuous. You're making money wherever you can. Mm -hmm. You're with this, you're dating this guy. How was the conversation of talking to, Hey, let's go to North Carolina. Cause you got the epiphany, right? The idea of I, yeah. I need to change. Yeah. I got, in all honesty, I think he would have gone with me anywhere. Yeah, okay. I don't, it really wasn't that much of a, it was not much of a challenge to get him to come along with me. Okay. Um, uh, at that time, I thought that when I shifted and transitioned and stopped using drugs, I thought that he had done the same. I found mm -hmm. out years later that he had not. And that was also a, an additional burden on our marriage, you know, so that that was another issue. But like I said, I helped my clients to tell their story from a position of forgiveness and healing. In all honesty, I tell my story and my truth and I do it as as respectfully of our relationship as I can, because we do have a child from that relationship. We have a son who's 25 now. And although we were not the best for each other, it it's his 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 um, challenges are his to tell. And so only where they brush up against mine, like I said, where where they were, a it was challenging. I had quit smoking. I had quit using drugs. I had quit drinking at that time. And to have someone still in partnership with you that's doing those things, it was challenging. It was very challenging. When do you think you truthfully felt that New York Lisa was gone? Probably... New York, Lisa, as far as the behaviors and the the um, the lifestyle. Well, because, you, yeah, you talked about the idea, the promiscuous, the drugs, yeah. everything like she that. Was going, she was going on the road. She was literally okay. in transformation. It was like a road to Damascus experience. Wow. It was it really was. Now that you asked me that question, I, that's 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 really interesting that I didn't have as much of a that baggage left. Now I had a ton of baggage. I had a ton of baggage, like, you know, the dealing with the limiting beliefs of the origin of Lisa, you know, like where she was born and how she was born into what circumstances and other things like that. But when the transition came, I think that I could see that there was going to be so much more in front of me than behind that I did not allow what was behind me at that time to hold me hostage. How, I mean, so it's, it's very interesting the way you said that right there, right? What was in front of you compared to what was behind you, right? And something that I bring up a, a lot on this podcast is the idea that most of us go away from the idea of fear compared to going towards pleasure, right? Yet, even though you were beaten down, you were fighting through a lot of stuff, you still had enough faith in who you're going to be compared to who you were. Where did that come from? Was it strictly emotional, spiritual? Like, I'm sure that it was, I'm sure that God had a lot to do with it. But one of the things that I try to, I explain to people when they ask me the question about how did you decide to become an entrepreneur? It really was not a decision to become an entrepreneur. It was a decision to survive. Okay. 
It was a decision to survive. So I was surviving and then deciding to use the survival instincts that had kept me alive and kept me, you know, in a place where I could even make the decision. I've had guns to my head. I've had knives to my throat. And now for me to be faced with anything, you got a short, um, what you're, you're short on rent. That's not a damn gun. You're not getting ready to take me out with that. That's not a problem that can that can even match some of the stuff that I've been through. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So reminding and leveraging the previous history, those old stories with what my abilities are is what has made me become more successful and even helped me to help other people to become more successful. Because when you think about the fact that a two-year-old was able to survive and take care of a one-year-old for any length of time. And then when you think about a five-year-old able to keep some things that were unfavorable from happening to a younger family member, these are, these are Herculean efforts when I look back on them. And so looking back at these types of accomplishments, as painful as they might be in memory space, right? There's still one thing that is common with them all. It took Herculean effort. It took the power of God. It took resiliency to go from where you were from one day to the next and still be standing. And so by taking that and applying it today, I believe is, is what moves forward. And that's also what I challenge my clients to do. You've already done more than you've given yourself credit for. If you were to sit back and consider what you made it through, a situation or circumstance that was uniquely designed to take you out and you can still open your eyes and you're on the other side of it, there's something. There's something in you that's special. There's something in you that's unique. There's something in you that you are now responsible with sharing with the world. When did you get the idea that you wanted to start your own business? That was another um, situation where, where it was a message from God. I, you know, it, I hadn't even thought about it, this as well. I was working, uh, like I said, when I moved here, I got a job when I moved to Charlotte. After two years of working in that job, I began working at, I, was, I had the opportunity to go on a job interview with IBM. So it was IBM hired me without the necessary skills and experience because of the things that I shared with them that I knew and that I understood about technology. They actually took me from a uh, receptionist job making $19,200 a year to a um, help desk representative. And I think I was making thirty-three-five when they first hired me as a contractor. And in the same year, six months later, making $40,000. Who is this? She has a 10th grade education. Who the hell is this? So I'm already feeling like I'm living on God's grace at this time, right? And I am doing everything I can to give back. I'm going to church. I'm mentoring people. I'm working in nonprofits. I'm doing all these things along with it. Fast forward 17 years, I am doing all these things and God has still set me up. IBM has hooked me up. I got like eight weeks vacation paid every year, six of which I can use to work in nonprofits. And then suddenly, boom, God hits me again. 
when will you trust me? I'm like, are you kidding me? My whole life is based on trust. Everything I have, I don't deserve. You've helped me to get it every day. And then he says, no, you don't trust me. You trust in the first and the 15th. Those are paydays. So he was telling me, you're trusting in these paydays. I want you to take what I've taught you. I have been mentoring executives, mentoring delivery managers, mentoring employees for all these years. And he came to the place where I, I want you to take what you've learned and I want you to help those that are really seeking your help. And that transitioned into coaching. And it took me some time to, to redirect my energies because I kept on bargaining with God. I'm like, um, do I really have to quit this job? <laughs> Can I do this on the side? You know, wanting to really make a deal with God, if you will. And um, finally turned in my resignation and said, you know what? I'm leaving. And um, the rest is history, if you will. How how long from that, I guess, that uh, epiphany, that thought from actually execution? From the epiphany to the negotiation with God was probably two years. And then when I finally turned in my resignation, it, yeah, I would say it was about two years. It was two years. So I wrestled with that. What, what do you think gave you the strength to, to give up this, I mean, good paying job, this, the that's, benefits. Uh, that's yeah. the key right there. Yeah. This good job and these good benefits, right? Your yeah. people are like, you're crazy to give that up. And, um, God, I lost my mind. They need to be quite honest. I lost my mind. I couldn't do for them, what I was doing all along, I lost my mind. My ability to successfully do my job just like turned into, it was crazy. It was like a short, uh, 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 a computer shortage, a short, a search, a short circuit in my brain. And so I took time off to just a little bit of time to thinking, you know, well, maybe I just need to rest or whatever the case might be. But ultimately what happened was that God was not to be silenced. That message kept on resonating, resonating and resonating. And it was just time to go. Like I couldn't go back. You can't stay. You got to move forward. So it was kind of like the, 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 the ringing was getting louder. The words are getting louder. And finally just, you had to kind of go with it. The words were getting louder and nothing else made sense. Nothing else worked. Along my entire life, even when it wasn't working well, I could still figure it out. But in that case, it was like, you're going to keep bumping your head or you're going to listen to me. I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to be doing there anymore because that season had passed. Were, were you still at that time married to your previous boyfriend yes what was his take on this what was it supportive was it go with the flow okay it was it was nothing at all really um it it was he was there he was there he was along for the ride and he was along for the responsibility a lot of what was going on i didn't share with him at that point by that point we've been uh we've been divorced now for for six and a half years 
And I have been married now for five years to my amazing husband that you'll meet. <laughs> when, so you're, you're starting the, the, the business, you're building the business, the, the coaching, helping people out. Was there a moment then when you go, I'm on the right path or was that strict from the start or was there, you had enough work or what, what was that moment there? No, that was a difficult time. It was a difficult season because I was, I was and am very good at what I do, but I did not understand the business side of it. I did not understand how to necessarily make money with what I was doing. Um, and although I had a lot of money to work with, it was challenging because um, I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted to help people to build and grow their entrepreneurial efforts because the scripture that consistently um, is the cornerstone of my business is your gifts will make room for you and you will leave a legacy unto your children's children. I believe that then, but I didn't understand how it worked yet. And so um, I did, I invested everything that I had, everything that I had in learning and trying to help others to be successful even before I was successful. And um, it was, it was, it was challenging. How did you find out how to make money? You said you, you didn't know the way of making money. How did you find out? I didn't know. Uh, losing everything will help you find out. I'm going <laughs> to tell you that. So I lost everything. I lost my building. I had a facility. I had 12 offices. I had um, two event spaces. I had you know people that were coming in and being mentored and coached by me, but no one <laughs> was paying and I didn't care because I wanted to see them do better and have opportunities and all these things. And finally, I had a dream that if you don't, um, if you don't make money from this one day, you're going to come to this office and all of those people who've been relying on you are going to be behind you and you're going to find an eviction notice on the door. And um, that dream became a reality. That dream became a reality. I showed up and everything was gone. Everything was shut down and I couldn't get back in anymore. And um, I had to learn how to sell and I had to learn uh, what the business structures were to become successful. And so I had to take some of my natural abilities, which were in the area of marketing, and I had to conflate them with sales and um, I'm grateful that uh, taking those marketing classes and those sales coaching classes both ended up uh, helping me to save my business and developing a profitable business, as well as a strategy to now also equip others to do the same. Um, so you you signed up with a coach or did, was it more of a just class structure? Okay, okay was it? Yeah, I signed up with uh, two coaches. One coach I ended up marrying, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't coach me. We were already in couplehood and I realized that he was really, really awesome with what he was doing. And he was already smitten with me. So he wouldn't formally coach me, but I tell you that I sat in on every class that he ever gave. I did, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like proxy coaching. Whenever he had a client, I would like hover in the corner and take my notes and do all of those things. But I also had a marketing coach. So putting those two things together, um, along with the fact that I had already taken um, uh, life coaching certifications, I had taken NLP and all of that before moving into this area. So I had a lot of the how, but none of the 
you know, I knew how to do what I was doing, but I didn't know how to be compensated for it. And I didn't know how to structure it as a business. So being able to do that has been what's made it successful. Oh, so you've taken classes for NLP? Yeah. Oh, man. We're, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about it after, after this podcast. We're going to do an <laughs> NLP event, actually, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Oh, awesome. So You're going to one? Uh, no, no. Me and someone else, a uh, past guest of mine. Uh, are going to have like a little NLP kind of conversation. So I'll have to invite you there. Awesome. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's really, really, there are so many different components for success. Why not tap in to the it, ones that can help? NLP, I think one is, I mean, it's massive. It's been massive to my business. It's been massive to the conversations I have. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, if, if you're listening right now and you're looking, if you're looking to build your business or you're in your business and you haven't uh, taken NLP classes, I would Thank look you. into it seriously as soon as possible. Just take some classes, get the understanding of it. It will help you immensely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those who don't know, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, it is really, really powerful. It's a powerful tool. But our mind is a powerful tool. Oh, yeah. Really learning how to tap into it. We already all know, and I think most of us agree, that we only use a small percentage of our brain's capability. So every time we open a door and let in someone else's um, thought circuitry combine with ours, I think that we get to expand just a little bit more or detract, depending on what you let in. Now, going back to to how you were raised, to the younger person of you. I mean, I could see a lot of other people saying, woe is me, my life is horrible, why should I give back to other people? Yeah, you've constantly had this idea of, I wanna help others, I wanna help others. Where do you think that comes from? Do you have any idea, have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I have thought about that. Um, uh, you're getting to me, you're getting to me. All right. so. <laughs> Just, just to share, um, I am in relationship with my mother. I love her very much, but she had me very, very young. And because of that, my beginning of life was very, very traumatic. I need to get my tissues, Vinny, man. So, <laughs> so uh, I went from house to house to house. Look, they, they sent me from house to house to house looking for somebody to keep me. And I guess you could say the Department of Social Services. I don't know if, what, if that was formally or whatever. But eventually, my mother's mother's father's mother was the one who took me in. And um, no, I'm serious. I need tissue. But <laughs> hold on. All right. So I don't like to use paper towels, but I'm gonna have to use something here. So anyway, um, she took me in. She was already like 94, 95 when she got myself and my sister. And um, she was already very loving, very caring. And um, the person that would pretty much help anybody. Um, so I saw what that looked like. I saw what it was supposed to look like, helping others, right? But she wasn't able to protect us. Mm -hmm. And so even though she was helping us 
from being in the street and from being with somebody that wasn't related to us. She didn't keep us safe. And there was somebody in her home that she didn't keep us safe from. So that's why I say it was kind of like, um, it was a hybrid, how you could be in a place with so much love and also be in a place with so much hurt in the same time. That was really what I had to endure. And that's why I left at 13, because although the person who was the predator was um, doing things that everybody knew they shouldn't be doing, she still felt a responsibility towards continuing to allow him there for her own reasons. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I had to leave. I just couldn't be there anymore. But I also believe that that's kind of been where the origin of helping others came from for me. Uh, from a from like I said, from a very young age, I hate to see people go without. Um, and then as I grew older, uh, as I grew older, I was uh, very, very. It was very important for me to be a hand extended. Um, I actually had a hand in raising over ten children, although I only have one of my own. Because I think it's important, especially for children, to know that somebody cares. Even if it's not your own parent, somebody cares. So you're, you're let me get this right. So at a young age, it was your grandmother was later in life. She was kind of watching over you. There was the another person that was there that was kind of a, a predator. Yet it was, she was either showing a blind eye to it or was giving them the benefit of the doubt of what they were doing? You could say that, um, but I don't think either one of those things were true. I think, uh, maybe I think a blind eye will be closer to the truth, but to say a blind eye would have to be that you at least think it's not happening. She okay. had to know it was happening um, because I was not the first generation that he had um, affected. So everybody knew, nobody protected. Do you, I mean, if being the, I guess at the core of it, for, except for this huge thing that she was allowing to happen, right? Being at the core of it, a good person wanting to help other people, right? How do you adapt the way that you love and give with, because it seems like you, you need to be honest and truthful and have that hard, hard truth, hard honesty and yeah. saying, hey, you're doing bad. This is not good. Instead of just brushing it under the rug. Yeah. I mean, how do you adapt the idea of love and the tough love and everything? Like that? It's taken a lot of work. It has taken a lot of work. There's been a, a lot of heart work, a lot of um, limiting belief work, a lot of forgiveness work. I mean, it's been a lot of work. It's not been like wake up and everybody's happy. Let's sing Kumbaya. There's been a lot of hurt, a lot of hate. There was decades of hate to move to a place of love, you know, a place of understanding where, and also where I learned about some of the origin of even that person, the, the predatory person, where I learned some of the origin of their predatory behavior. And um, we've all seen movies where they take you back to when the predator was being the one who somebody else was the predator the upon all of that, right? The prey. Yeah. Exactly. I couldn't get those words out. So, I mean, learning 
and beginning to process forgiveness, learning that everybody had the origin of their pain and the origin of their expression of that pain. One of the things that that my sister told me a, a, a long, well, maybe it's been a couple of years now, but it changed uh, the way I looked at things. And I think it changed the way that she looks a lot, a lot of things was when you're in those situations, you almost tell yourself they're doing the best they can with the tools they have. Absolutely. Right. Because that's how they were raised. That's how they, they, they. Yeah. So it's I mean, you it's a it's a very, very negative thing. And you have to go, you know what, that's. They're the best they could with the tools they have. So absolutely. That that was one of the lessons that I learned from reconciling myself with the physical abuse. Because like I said, some of the some of it was sexual abuse, but some of it was physical abuse. My 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 caring, loving great great grandmother was <laughs> was physically abusive, although she was caring and loving. And it wasn't only until I understood some of that message that your sister shared, the tools that you have, mm-hmm. understanding that some of the things that she did was the only way she knew to bring about safety, right? Because you think about her, my my great-great-grandmother, that's who she was, my mother's mother's father's mother, her father was a sharecropper and his father was a slave. Mm-hmm. So that meant what she learned was from a very short time of freedom. And so her job was to keep us safe as well as she could think of. And sometimes keeping you safe meant keeping you quiet, keeping you still. And you know what? Maybe she didn't think that she could do that any other way other than with an extension cord or a brick or whatever the case might be at the time. And again, that's not a blanket excuse for anybody to abuse. I'm talking about years of processing and understanding and getting to a place where I can still accept the good and throw away the bad of a situation, I realized that some of it was just not having the right tools to bring about health and safety. If if you could go back and, and talk to your younger self, is there any words of wisdom that you might be able to, to say to them? To talk to my younger self, I always say it gets better from here. And I talk to her all the time. It continues to get better because it's important to go back and remind yourself that the things that come easier to you now were a direct result of the things that were challenging to you then. There are skills that we have, that I have, that I know I would not have gained if I had not had the life that I had. Well, I, I appreciate you, Lisa. Um, hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets. I mean, we didn't dive too much in, into into your business, but we, we dived into your story. I think there's so many people out there that are in a tough time right now. They look at it. Oh, my gosh, there's no way of getting out of it. It's it's finding kind of where you want to be and building a roadmap of getting there and just doing it. I Absolutely. mean, just moving forward, going forward, going towards where you want to be and you will be that person if you have faith in who you are and know you're worth it. Absolutely. Continue to believe that you're worth it. I think that that is a big, big key to it. As long as you continue to believe that you're worth it, you can do anything. And sometimes when we need a little extra, think about the things 
who would not survive if you didn't persist. You know, sometimes that extra, it might feel like weight, but sometimes that extra responsibility is exactly what we need to make that next step, that to overcome that next obstacle. Just, you know what? There's no other choice. We got to do this. We're going to make this happen. If, if someone's listening right now uh, and they want to basically follow your journey of telling other people's stories, telling your story, I mean, reaching out to you, what's the best platform for them to follow you? So the best plat, well, we found out today that we got to be conscientious of platforms, right? The best way to connect <laughs> with me is to go to IamLisaSantiago.com. You can go there. You can see what's going on with me, with my network of Empowerment Circle. And you can watch us on our um, daily podcast, Monday through Friday, The Empowerment Duo. It's on Facebook, LinkedIn, and uh, YouTube as well. We're just looking to help to share a message of hope and love with people, letting people know that even in your worst circumstances, your worst situation, there is fruit even in that that will allow you to achieve things that you had never even considered. Again, thank you again, Lisa, for being here. Thank you, everyone listening. Please subscribe. Please share. Go follow Lisa's journey. I mean, it's, I think me and her want to make sure that everyone has a path of getting forward and know you're not alone. You're, you're not, not alone. alone. There's someone out there that cares for you. There's someone else that wants to help you out. Just start moving forward and, and find that person. Thank you, everyone. Absolutely. Please subscribe, please share, and have a great one. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.